Hello and welcome to Politics in the Pulpit. This is a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of whether, and if so, how, politics should appear in our preaching this week. My name is Beth Allison Glennie. I'm the Baptist Union's Public Issues Enabler, and I'm working as part of the Joint Public Issues team. Each week, I'm joined by a guest from a different place and space on the political or pulpit landscape. And today, I'm really pleased to introduce Jude Levermore, the head of Mission for the Methodist Church in Britain. Welcome, Jude. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Um, so politics in the pulpit, it's the question we start with each week. Um, I wonder what that means for you. That's a good question. Um, I was trained as a preacher uh, in the Anglican Church. I became a Methodist later in life and um, I was uh, was trained as a, as a lay reader uh, at Wycliffe Hall and one of the books they made us read was a book by um, uh, John Stock called I Believe in Preaching. Uh, and it really struck me that book because it talks about preaching as a process of weaving and you have to weave three strands every time you preach. You have to preach what's going on for you, what's going on for the people around you and what's going on in the scripture. And for me, what's going on in the people around me is politics, always, you know, everywhere, every time it's political. Often in me, there's some political stuff and nearly always in the scripture, there's some political stuff. So I think when you weave those three strands together and if you overweave one, you've got too much of yourself in it or too much of the scripture in it. I'm not sure you can have too much of scripture. Maybe you can. Um, anyway, the, the, the best sermons, I think, are where that weaving has happened beautifully. So I think you can't leave politics out. Yeah, thank you. I also had a really good teacher in that um, David Winter, who was the head of um, BBC's religious broadcasting, was the person that persuaded me or ignited in me the fact that I might have a call to preach. Uh, and he was one of the best preachers there is. And he never, ever, I think, ever preached without having some kind of public issue or something that was going on currently, current affairs, definitely, uh, in his sermons. So I think it's sort of steeped in me, really. Mm. And you're, um, you're head of mission uh, in Methodism. That's a, that's a big title. <laughs> um, I wonder, um, how do you see mission and kind of social justice sort of sitting together? Uh, well, uh, that's a really big question, probably bigger than we could unpack in a 20 minute uh, time here. But um, I think obviously uh, mission encompasses a whole load of things. And in my job, as head of mission, I look after the joint public issues team staff, but I also look after the evangelism and growth team and the children, youth and family team and our engagement team and our world mission team. And, and all those things uh, are, are about mission, aren't they? And without any one of them, you don't have mission. Mission is what God is doing in the world. Uh, and and uh, our role in mission is to join in with what God is doing in the world. And what God is doing in the world doesn't just happen in our churches. In fact, not a lot of it happens in our churches because our churches aren't that big, are they? Um, most of what God is doing in the world is happening out there in the world. Um, does that answer your question? I might have forgotten what your question was. No, that's, good. that's a good one. I think I'm very passionate about trying to say that um, this is always missional. And it's one of my big things that actually we can't talk about. I don't think we can talk about things like evangelism and uh, mission without also talking about the kind of big social justice questions of our time. And that's always, that's always my big, uh, my big passionate moment. Um, and I think, yeah, it informs so much of what we do and are about without, and I think that we either do it intentionally or we, um, we do it invisibly. And I think, um, but I think if we do it invisibly, we, we have 
potentially the challenge of missing things and I really want us to do it intentionally so that's my big um that's my preach for the moment <laughs> I think I think that's true but I think also it's really difficult sometimes that can feel overwhelming but you know I have to do everything so I have to run the food bank and I have to uh, write to my MP and I have to be a really good preacher and I ought to be on the coffee rotor and I, sometimes it can feel a little bit overwhelming which is why God puts us in community why it's not all about it's not all about me that church is about diff different ones of us having passions it's all right if mrs so-and-so in your congregation is totally passionate about israel palestine and really not that interested in your food bank that's all right because someone else in your congregation is going to be really into the food bank thing so we can't all do everything can we but we have to learn to listen to each other as we as, as those things hit hit and bang into each other because they do sometimes I really like that. Yeah, though, I think, um, yeah, you've got to have the person who's passionate about rotors, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Essential. Admin is I was gonna say, maybe not the person that's quite so passionate about flowers, but you know, even flowers matter. Right? <laughs> Consider the lilies of the field. <laughs> So I wonder from, from your from your perspective, there's a particular justice issue or social justice issue that you'd um political event, maybe something in the world that you'd like us to be paying attention to as we prepare this week. Well, I knew you were gonna ask me that, so I've been thinking about it. But the trouble is for me at the moment there's just too many. Uh, I can't pick the one. And the one that's really been exercising me and my role this last uh, couple of weeks is um, the Israel-Palestine question. I visited Gaza just before lockdown, actually. So, I, you know, I have friends in Gaza. So that that whole situation and the complexities of that is really exercising me. Mm. And then you've got some fascinating uh, anniversary coming up, aren't you? Black Lives Matter, uh, it's the anniversary of um, Floyd's death. So we that's going to be around in the ether too. Mm. And that's interesting thing about the BBC and um, the Bashir interview and you know what does that say about how the media is and the media has changed so much over my lifetime you know where I really believed everything the BBC said and then I perhaps moved to believing everything that Channel 4 says uh, and, and now I think oh but yeah, I get a lot of my news from Twitter actually and what does that say about me and so there's interesting you know where do we get our news from is another fascinating element which preachers really need to pay attention to I think because where you get your news from depends what your news is and we are called to be good news uh, actually I think that's, that's an important thing for us to think about as preachers that yeah that's that is a really helpful reflection and I think one of the challenges is also um, which is which is paywalled and which isn't paywalled and then the tendency then to to lean to the guardian first <laughs> And actually, um, perhaps we don't always reflect our churches in the news that we read um, and our congregations maybe read slightly differently. Um, so, yeah, really good challenge. Thank you for that. Um, I, um, I've uh, asked our JPIC colleagues um, and and they've, uh, they've, they've echoed many of the same things that you've already said. Um, obviously, um, it's the anniversary of George Floyd's death uh, today and uh, churches together in England are I've got loads of resources on that and kind of encouraging everybody to take a moment to light a candle and to pause and to reflect and pray as part of our kind of collective lament and reckoning with uh, racism and all that is there. Um, so there's also um, ongoing a big refugee crisis um, uh, just off the Italian coast at the moment and just, um, you know, that means 2,000 people have arrived in just a few days and, and actually just to really... Uh, pray for that and be aware of that. Um, the ongoing um, 
coup in Myanmar and um, some Methodist partner organisations have reported that several villages have had to flee into the countryside. Um, so, you know, in terms of where we get our news from, sometimes we get our news from partner churches and, and this is one of those mm. Um, yeah, so there's lots, there's lots going on, lots going on. We've, we've, we've opened our metaphorical newspapers, and now it's a case of kind of turning to the Bible. And um, so uh, our readings this week uh, come from Isaiah, um, and that great passage of um, uh, of all about in the, in the year that King Isaiah died. Um, we've got Romans eight. Uh, we've got John 3, which um, for those who've been paying attention to the lecturing has already appeared recently, which is very confusing, but it's Trinity Sunday this this week. Um, so I expect a lot of our preachers are trying to reckon with um, whether they're going to try and explain the Trinity using an egg or a circle dance or um, playing heresy bingo in one of many other ways. Um, so, so I think we're here to bring the kind of slightly different slightly different tune to the to the conversation and um to unpack that so i wonder um jude if you if you i don't know if you are preaching this week but if you were uh, uh well where, where where which what jumps out for you what what would you be going with um uh, it's interesting if i am preaching this uh sunday i'm preaching in my uh, local methodist church and it'll be this only the second time we've been open since uh, the last time so we had pentecost last week and that was great now we've now i've got this i'm not gonna major on trinity sunday i think I think I think I'm not um I'm going to I'm going to talk about complexity uh and simplicity um because uh all of these readings I think have some shorthands in them that uh if you're in the know you know and if you're not in the know you, you don't know uh and uh, whilst as Christians we um we 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 know our faith is simple you know believe and be baptized actually it's really not that simple uh, and how do you wrestle with the com complexity which sometimes keeps people out of church and how do you wrestle with making a message that's clear and part of my job is evangelism it is making the message clear but not um trite so i think i'm going to go with something like that really probably i, I think I, because i've got to do quite a short service because um, we're doing two services back to back to get everybody in I think I'm only going to concentrate on one of the passages. I haven't decided yet whether I go for the Isaiah passage or the uh, John passage, probably the John. But I like the Isaiah passage, <laughs> going on a bit now, aren't I? Because that in the year that King Isaiah died, um, that's shorthand, isn't it? That's, uh, yeah. you know, remember that year? You know, that's like saying 9-11. Uh, you know, they're just two numbers, aren't they? But everybody knows what that means. And it's I'm thinking that. It's going to be like uh, in 2020, isn't it? It's going to be like saying 2020, yeah. Remember 2020? Yeah. Oh my goodness, yes. How could you forget? To... It's going to be the same as that, mm. and and I think that's quite that might be quite an interesting way in for that passage. That's... So that's absolutely what I've got. <laughs> so my first note was, when did King Isaiah die? Why does it matter when he died? Oh, because it was a rubbish time, wasn't it? It was when Syria was, you know, the, the northern kingdom was captured, Jerusalem was, it was just rubbish. Yeah, and probably worse than a pandemic for those people. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it, that he didn't say, um, so clearly within the year, he hasn't quite, he isn't quite dead yet, <laughs> when, when Isaiah was called. Um, and it, so it's interesting that they kind of like actually he doesn't say oh towards the of the year sorry I've got a bit of an echo again um uh, and towards the end of the year that there's suddenly um you know oh yeah 
you know, in, in about that point in time, but actually saying no. <laughs> uh, when he died, you remember when it went wrong? Towards <laughs> the end of the reign. Um, yeah, um, we've got um, uh, we've got several. Um, I think uh, several passages that I'd um, be interested in, in, kind of picking up a lot of that simplicity complexity conversation because I think that's really helpful. Um, but I think if we stick with just uh, this Isaiah one for a little bit longer, um, I, I was really struck by how you could go somewhere with intercession, maybe or. Um, even confession um and this idea of this people of unclean lips and um and what does it mean to be living as um as people who are sinful but also seeing sin not only as an individualized like i've i've been a person of unclean lips but i am of a people like i haven't called it out i haven't been a part of um making our lips clean in some way that, that he seems to there seems to be a conversation here about kind of the role of the personal in a wider community of people and how we sit with um, a bigger structure or a bigger kind of a way of being and, and how do we call that? And I think from what you were saying earlier about um, where do we get our news from? <laughs> actually, I think there's something really interesting. You're like, how do we sit as people um, of clean lips? So if we've got clean lips, we probably haven't. How do we sit as unclean lipped people in a community of unclean lipped people? And, and actually, what does that mean? And how do we, how do we, be a part of that. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you could tie that in a little bit with um, allyship, couldn't you? So if you're, if you're linking that with the with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, where where I live in Leafy, the Leafy Cotswolds, you know, um, it, it's sometimes difficult for me to imagine what it might be like to live in in the inner city, in a diverse uh, community, because my community is very monochrome. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm not called to be an ally. So how do I work out my allyship? Uh, in, in this context. I, I was thinking as I, if I was going to preach on this passage, my three things, because obviously as a preacher you have to have three things, would be um, a sort of three um, uh, positions really that, that as I take the sort of the face down bit, which is the sort of confessional bit, I'm a people of unclean lips, and then heart open is a bit about, you know, um, cleanse me, God, make me new. Uh, and, and then there's the hands up, you know, yeah, I'll do it. I'm, I'm in. So I think those kind of three postures, if you like, a kind of face down, heart open, hands up, um, might might be something. No, I'm going to go with the John. But anyway. <laughs> no, I like that. Because I think I, the hands up, hands up is really important, isn't it? And it needs to be this sort. Of, I can't read it on the screen. You know, ha hands up in praise and worship, but also hands up. I'm in. You know, here I am. Set, send me. I'm, I'll go. I'll do. I'll act. <laughs> I feel like I've heard this passage at a lot of um, a lot of services, sending out uh, kind of ministers or, <laughs> or kind of people within church life who have got kind of a special role. And I think um, I think that the joy of this passage actually is is that it can be any, you know we should we should we should be expecting everybody to be like hands up here I am send me. Um, but I think yeah that it's, it's very invitational to join in it, isn't it? Um, and I was also I was also noticing that um, there's this obviously with the kind of the cleansing of the lips and the kind of Oklahoma conversation that happens there. Um, and just um, the language around guilt and, and kind of sin being blotted out. Um, and the commentary I was reading was like, the, the, the imagery here that we miss slightly in the English is really very much about debt and the idea that, um, that God is kind of covering the debt of, 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 of what's happened. And, um, and I just, um, 
yeah, I can't remember with my public issues hat on. I just thought, well, that's really telling, isn't it? That the kind of an image of salvation here that's being used is is an image of of, of debts being covered and debts being um, kind of forgiven. And I just um, want, yeah, kind of that jubilee, I guess. Uh, mm. I kind of wanted mm. to kind of hold that. So in the middle of everything going wrong in this, you know, this time where King Isaiah has died and it is a disaster, <laughs> that there is, um, there it is that um, God covering that in that way. Um, and saying that there's somehow still a promise here um, that leads us into the future. Yeah. So you're preaching on John, um, yeah. you think, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and um, where, where do you think you go with John? I think I'm going to go with um, John 3.16. See, it's like saying 9.11 in Christian circles, isn't it? Everybody knows. If you, if you say, what, what Bible verse did you memorise as a child? Or what Bible verse, what's the only Bible verse you know? I bet it's going to be, you know, go on, what is it? Beth? Oh, God. So love the world. In fact, I sing it because it's yes, a nursery song that goes with it. <laughs> I can't even say it. I have to sing it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it is the verse, isn't it? That, you know, if I'm a Christian, I have to know that verse. But, mm. but actually, it's quite reductive. As I think that's the right word. It's, it's quite narrow. It's quite small. And, and actually, I, I think our gospel is much bigger than that. It's about the transformation of the whole world. And you, it's, it makes me grumpy when people take one verse and say, that's what it means to be a Christian. No, it isn't. Um, <laughs> And, and we have to look at the whole of, of the context of it, like even the set, even the verse after it would be a help. But no, you know, it's it's um, I went shopping with my I've got teen, I know they're grown up girls now, but when they were teenage girls, I went shopping and we went to Forever 21. Uh, they had a shop in Oxford and we bought some trays yeah, for people that want to be Forever 21. Anyway, they, with the kids bought some clothes. When I got home, I noticed on the bottom of the bag, it said John 316. I was like, what's that about? Look them up and they were a, a Christian company it's just become a sort of shorthand for mm. us and I don't think shorthands are good enough so I'm pretty certain my challenge is going to be shorthands aren't good enough and you can see that when you look at the situation in Israel-Palestine you can see that when you look at any political situation in this country can't you you know mm. it's so easy the, the, the rise of the far right is terrifying to have easy answers to complicated questions we're not called to do that we're called to have uh, we're called to have love, we're called to have complicated conversations with our neighbours rather than easy answers to difficult questions, I think. So I think I might go possibly with that. I like it. I do. Um, I, um, I'm i just uh, looking at, um, at John 3.16 now um, <laughs> and um, I'm just thinking, you know, uh, I, I mean, it's, it's a passage about kingdom. So um, so for me, that's quite political, you know, being, you know, being born into the kingdom of God is not about birth anymore. It seems to be about something else. Um, and um, and it, I think um, it's, I, yeah, so for me, there's at least on, like on a really fundamental political level, something very like telling about that, that I see, you know, our kind of entry into the into the gospel, our entry into what it is to be part of the kingdom is um isn't you know and kingdom being a fundamentally political body right kings we have kings with king Isaiah dying this is a kingdom what is to be citizens in this place is not actually about uh being born out of a certain set of parents but about um a different form of entry 
And I think that ties actually with, um, in Romans 8 with the conversation around adoption. Yeah. This is actually something else that's happening here. We're born of um, spirit and water and God is doing something. You can't get back inside your mother's womb again. You know, this is really kind of like, because, and it is, I love, I do, I do love Nicodemus because, he, you know, for somebody who's a teacher of the law, he's really dense in this passage. <laughs> and I just find that really reassuring. Um, but I think um, but he's like, he's just kind of not quite getting his head around it. Like, but how does this work, you know? Um, and uh, Jesus being like, no, you, you, you're missing the point. <laughs> I am um, one of the, most uh, privileged things I've done uh, in my life, I think, actually, was I got to preach uh, in Iona Abbey uh, on Trinity Sunday uh, on this passage. Uh, and I stood up, I stood up to preach and I, I looked out and I saw Douglas Alexander, who was then M MP. And I thought, oh, my what, what I'm gonna, you know, there are lots of people there. But I was like, he's, he's someone really important. And, and, and I'd worked out what I was going to say. Um, and it wasn't very political, really. But he came up to me afterwards and said, I've, I've never heard anybody you, uh, use the word vagina <laughs> in, in an abbey before <laughs> because I was talking about being being born again and, and actually I was talking about uh, any woman who's given birth knows that magic um 10 centimeters so starting mm -hmm. with a 10 centimeter ruler so until your cervix is dilated to 10 centimeters you're not allowed to push uh, and actually it, it's that point um called transition in the labor process that is the most complex and painful and difficult and it's at that point that you think you know what I want to go home <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore um, and I think that as a society actually at the moment we're probably in quite a lot of that transition moment and what Jesus does here is sort of play with ideas it's it's mm. a it's it's a really it's a very complicated thing but what he does is put an image in there play with something and we're too keen I think to come up with the logic maybe that's what Nicodemus wanted he wanted a sort of logical one two three four step answer to this question and Jesus doesn't give him that Jesus gives him a a, a playful idea a creative thing to to play with a, a less western way of thinking maybe yeah absolutely I am um, I think what I'm always struck by is um is is the kind of contrasting of Nicodemus then with the um the woman by the well uh, a couple of passages later mm -hmm. so we don't get that because we hear it sliced up each week and um and i think um if you're reading john in one go you suddenly realize that he's being really contrasted <laughs> against this woman who who's kind of i guess her sexuality is very on display and um and so you've got nicodemus who's there is this um man who's come to you know he's come to jesus in the dark he's a man he is like a top-notch you know he's got authority um he's a rabbi um and and he and he sees this kind of um oh he's Jesus as a rabbi and a teacher and so he's got this kind of particular view of, of like gets it but doesn't quite get it. Um and then you've got contrasted then this you know this this woman who comes in the noonday sun meets Jesus um and he goes to her really actually you know meets Jesus in the middle of the brightest part of the brightest day everything's revealed everything is surface level right no secrets hidden nothing like she her whole complicated history is up there and exposed but she gets it she's the one in the light who goes oh yeah you're you you're you're the savior of the world you're not just a rabbi you're the savior of the world and she's the one that then goes and preaches it and testifies to her whole village and i just think it's such an interesting 
they're such interesting comparisons. They sit side by side with each other, and, and there's the whole conversation that's going on in John 3 about the light, and it's brought into the light and what's in the dark. And there is there is Nicodemus in the dark, kind of not quite getting it. <laughs> and there is this woman in the light, really getting it. Like she is, you know, Jesus is saying something about the kingdom doesn't look like this so much as this and I, I find that really um really encouraging <laughs> um and just gives me a bit like yes this is the gospel right it's not it's not neat and tidy no that that's interesting I, I'd thought about um uh, in the dark quite a lot I've been sort of was playing with that an idea and remembering that when Judas uh um leaves the, the last supper it's in the dark you know there's John often uses that meaning spiritually dark doesn't he not just dark dark um, and wondering, you know, it was dark in the year that King Isaiah died, wasn't it? I mean, it's, it's darkness falls over the land. It's that sort of a, and it's all right to come to Jesus in the dark because that is how we come. But I'm, I'm going to play now with your ideas of light as well. That's, that's, dark and light could be quite an interesting one, couldn't it? And it's, it seems to be not so much that... Um... I think where you whether you come in the dark, but whether you're willing to be drawn into the light seems to be the conversation. I think, isn't it? This idea that the light the light is going to happen, and I, which direction are you heading in? Really, I think it seems to me, kind of maybe maybe that's my um, my hopeful reading of the passage. But it seems to me that it's sort of an outworking. Like it's not judgment. Like you know, we're just gonna this is going to be exposed and it's going to be horrible and really difficult. But kind of like, are you being drawn into? something that that is light and and kind of are you willing to go there um i reckon with it and i think it's also because you've got that whole image of the snake um you know that slightly obscure like uh reminder of of moses and 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 kind of everybody being um bitten by snakes as a judgment but then suddenly the the cure for the judgment is um the, you know the cure for this is is to to look at what the the community shame is like the snakes have gone wrong now look at the snake and have a look at it and looking at it you'll find your healing um and i think there's something about as you if we're willing to look at the stuff that kind of we've got collectively wrong and shameful that's part of how god heals us god doesn't take the snake away <laughs> he says look at the snake and that's the way you'll be healed um and i just um yeah i think that's a really interesting thing as well like kind of actually do we are we willing to look at the bits in our society and in ourselves that actually we looked at in the light and kind of put up high and honestly exposed, but, but in a way that won't be that they'll be magically disappear, but by looking at them together, something will fundamentally shift and um, we'll be led into some new way of being that's healthy and whole in a, in a different way, perhaps, to the way we were before. Because you can see that in Nicodemus, can't you? Because he appears you know, t subsequently twice afterwards, doesn't he say? And you can see his progression, really, actually. You can see him moving uh, into the light su such that, you know, he performs that amazing uh, on honour for, for, for the body of Jesus, you know? So, yeah. And he's named, I think, not only because he's a man. I mean, obviously, so Nicodemus is given a name in the woman the by the well. We just, she's a woman. <laughs> um, but, but I wonder if Nicodemus is named partly because he's, maybe he is one of the people right one of the people in the early church do we have his name because he was one of the ones leading this community through and that you know in john's time john's like actually we want to 
yeah, it's Nicodemus. <laughs> we know him, right? Like this is this is this guy getting it wrong. <laughs> like this is a story of grace in any way. Um, yeah. Yeah, grace would be a nice thing to go with too, wouldn't it? Yeah. I am. Um, I haven't really talked about Romans eight yet. Do you, um, no. We could. We could. I think what I would say um, again with the adoption thing is I. I um, that actually it's, it's interesting to me that our primary mode of becoming children of God is not um, through birth and that actually in a church which has a habit of overemphasizing a particularly uh, a particular style of family unit is the, probably the way I would say as the kind of grace thing that we should sit carefully with that because clearly that's not really God's model of family. Uh, God seems to create family out of people who weren't family before in blood relationships and um and i think um just a bit of a shout out to um emma nash's fabulous book um so um we've um emma is both a baptist and a methodist at the moment so we can both claim her can't we g um, yeah. <laughs> um she's just written emma nash has just written a very very good book called uh, a pastoral theology of childlessness and um it's all about um, kind of a theology of, of reckoning with her not being able to have a, um, biological children and just what that means and um, and it's been it's a really it's a beautiful book and it's out now so if you can now get it, um, it you don't have to pre-order it it can come straight through the post um, or to a good bookshop near you if you're going shopping in person um, and I would just really recommend it because it's a beautiful book and it's already been like a I've already found about four conversations I've been able to have out the back of it with other people that I think I wouldn't have been able to have that conversation if I hadn't read that book. So I would really, um, really recommend it. Um, yeah. Um, it's less political, more, I guess, but in a way not because families are... You know, families are political, women's bodies are political, the abortion stuff that's going on in the States, that's hugely political. Perhaps we won't go there. But... Um... <laughs> But but if you were going there in your sermon this week, good luck. <laughs> we'll lend you a hand. Bad enough talking about vaginas in Iona Abbey. I'm not talking. Um, I think um, yeah, I was. I think I was also um looking at that language, and again, it, it, the the language of debt is in there, which I think is interesting. Um, and um, you know, since they're brothers and sisters, so then brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh. And I think that's interesting that that language of debt is in both. Again, it's it's appearing mm -hmm. through. So if you were preaching themat more thematically, that that's there. Um, yeah, and I just think the whole point, isn't it, for Paul, is that salvation is such a cosmic act that it's not just individual, but it's also the whole of the world, and and that that's something you know that it, it you know. Christ is reclaiming humanity individually, but also corporately. And I think um, as somebody who kind of thinks about politics with a kind of big P, little P, you know, there's something about people together, then actually there is something that God is doing about reconciling the world to itself as well as to, to God altogether. So, mm -hmm. yeah. We're, um, we're nearing our time and... Um, I wonder if there's any, anything else you'd want to get in as, as something you'd want us to be thinking about or a way you'd preach it maybe or um, an illustration or a book you'd recommend, anything. Oh, goodness, <laughs> nice. put me on the spot. I'm finding myself reading 
I don't know if I can say this, but I find myself reading less commentaries than I used to. Um, and I think I, I, I'm reading more collections of other people's sermons. I, I really rate some of those. I really enjoyed some of those. Um, at the moment, Mark Oakley. Do you know Mark mm. Oakley? Yeah, he, he's got a lovely. Uh, he did the book on poetry, a, a splash of words. But, um, words. <laughs> yeah, but the um, the one he's got on. Uh, what's it called? Oh, the um, by way of the heart. So, yes, by way of the heart, which is a collection of his uh, sermons, because quite often his sermon illustrations you're like oh I could use that in this, in this one <laughs> I think a bit of plagiarism in the sermon world's all right um but I'm finding I'm finding I'm reading more of more more of those sort of collections than I am of commentaries because I suppose I tend to use I use the internet much more to do my sort of searching of stuff than when I started preaching in the old days so yeah that's that's the book I'd recommend um is there one thing I'd want to say? I I think it it is that we need to guard against um, simple answers, um, and all the furore that there was over you know Black Lives Matter and you know well everybody's life matters. Well, yes, everybody's life matters, but Black Lives Matter. You know, it's the polarization really fright, frightens me. And we're not we're called to bring people together, not to drive people apart. And so how we speak really matters. And that inclusiveness and the wideness. I'm going to use um there's a wideness in God's mercy as one of the hymns. Very, very old hymn, right? Um I don't even know if it's a then it's just a Methodist thing. Um but it struck me as I was looking at the words, gosh, even back in the nineteenth century there must have been a narrowness in people's thinking that was noticed by the person that wrote there's a wideness in god's mercy uh, so we think our um you know our sort of narrow mindedness is perhaps a new thing i, I think it's perhaps a inherent thing in us that we need to guard against so uh yeah the mind of the internal is inestimably kind i think is one of the words i just think the word kindness um has become a bit misused and we could do with a bit more kindness absolutely i agree i think people will often forget um what you say but people will not forget how you made them feel and i think um when it comes to preaching how we make people feel is 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 as important and i think we have to be careful um we do that with yeah that we do that well i think it's not to say that it, it shouldn't be that we do it intentionally you know we can you can use that it's the power of a preacher but i think um but it is a power of a preacher and i think yeah we we definitely need to to go into those spaces and those places with a um with a warmth i think is the word i always try and find myself mm -hmm. using like a real kind of yeah an invitation into grace um which is sometimes very challenging <laughs> doesn't matter doesn't mean that it's not it's just that it's um it's about having kind of yeah that kind of yeah being careful i think um thank you so much jude it's been an absolute pleasure to hear your thoughts and your wisdom and to um to, to hear how you're preparing your services this week and I really hope they both go well in your reopening it's a it's a big thing isn't it finally be able to be in person together again and um yeah we're aware that that's true for lots of our preachers and that um and that and actually 
often those who are preaching in church life may well have also been uh, running the food banks and organising the rotors and handing a huge amount of stuff this last year and we know that and we just want to say that we're praying for you and um yeah we, we hope that your preparation goes well in this week ahead and you have some space to enjoy uh the wideness of god's mercies so we're um, we're going to go out with a blessing um uh, as we do each week um and uh we'll pray this over ourselves and over everyone who's tuning in may we be anointed with god's spirit as we bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, help people to see the world truthfully, and let the oppressed go free. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.